gotta remember before you get any further in this world. Being good at not breaking is not the same as being good at fixing. Hi, Jay. Hi, that's a good one you chose there. I'm a fan. Yeah, I like I like this one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Welcome to episode kind of two, kind of three. Are, are we it's counting episode, that episode three, movie two? Episode three, movie two. Yeah, I was yeah. like, are, are we counting that first one as like episode zero? Are we absolutely. doing anime rules or are we going by regular naming conventions? I, I think for the purposes of this, we can be we can be episode three, movie two. It, right. it, it, it's okay. We're on a. Uh, no, we're not. I was going to say we're on Homestuck rules where they get into like Act 6, Act 5, oh Act 4. D- stop. D- stop referencing Homestuck. You're going to destroy no, our credibility. Not, well, not going to destroy it. We, we, listen. <laughs> listen. Listening. It's all about who that credibility's with. We're going to lose some people's credibility and we're going to gain the credibility of people who suffered through what we suffered through. That has nothing to do with this. Welcome back to the Marmoset Chronicles, a personal retrospective. Welcome back. We are, um, uh, I'm pretty excited for movie two. I um, love movie two. This is not a hot take, but movie two is definitely, if not my favorite, one of them. Like, it, it, it is definitely a lot of, I mean, all right. Laz Patillo is not a guy that this almost goes without saying. He's not the kind of guy to go, oh, well, my fans liked these three things in the first one. I've got to octane those up to make them really fucking lose their mind and just shit all over the floor in anticipation in the second one. You know, he's not that kind of person. He's not that kind of director. But oh, no. I, I think if you're into how he does things in that first one there's like stuff in the second one that's like oh he's really like blooming at blossoming from where he started with uh the phantom and the wren and doing some really cool stuff here yeah and it starts almost immediately too yeah and then he also does some really really weird stuff like the ballerinas yeah oh man <laughs> yeah i mean the ballerinas the fucking like i don't know the fact that this starts in a a pseudo bank heist, but then the bank turns out to be in a boat is just (laughs) such a like, (laughs) you know, I mean like, (laughs) now you think of that as like something mission impossible or fast and the furious would do, but it all started with, with a boat heist surprise boat heist. And it's so, and all of these insane things are happening, but it's such, it's such a, it's but it's such a weirdly relaxed feeling movie like uh-huh. at no point at no point in this entire movie does georgie have any idea what is going on it it's like it's like that uh that one i think it's a john mulaney quote ever have one of those days where you're like this might as well happen yeah that is this entire movie <laughs> exactly it's, Jesus it's, it's, Christ. it's just it's just georgie being yanked around by the plot yeah yeah and which i mean the fact that that carries as well as it does is you know certainly remarkable in a way like the plot just happens to georgie in this which i think is a very interesting change from the first movie where uh georgie drives the entire plot of the first sure and this one it's pretty much the exact opposite um the 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 events for pretty much all of them just kind of like push georgie through this this movie yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, the the so we have boat heist and 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 once that ends like 
What does it remind me of? I'm going to like talk about it so I can think of what it reminds me of. So we have this group of robbers who rob this bank that is on a luxury cruise liner, which I, I think the idea is that it's like, a, it's not a bank. It's like a vault in like a casino on a luxury boat, Um, which I, I, did they have those in the 70s? That certainly sounds like something you'd hear about now that like is know. currently out there and has, you know, a thousand people who are all stuck there getting coronavirus because one of them got on the boat with it. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was a bad jo- That was a joke in bad taste, which I find funny. Um, yeah, that's fair. But no, like you start with that. Um, I, yeah, that's what I, was, what I was saying. Is like I don't know if that kind of boat even really existed in 72, but by God, he came up with it. Um, and, you know, so these robbers jet away and then it cuts to them like in this evening in a harbor in some nondescript city and they pull into a dock and just, you know, they're, they're being covert about it. And as they're getting out of the, their little, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them? Jet skis. Why did I forget the word jet skis that they're, that they're driving on? You just see Georgie walking by on the sidewalk and that is how he enters the movie. Yup. And uh, it's just it, it, it's coincidental. I guess that's what I'm looking for here. Is it? It feels so coincidental in the same way that uh, him running into his sister in the first one did, but with a very flipped around context. Kind of like what you're saying, where, where this is the this is these guys wandering into him rather than him wandering into a town. And then, and it just like, and that whole like um, tone of. insane things are happening but nobody is really acknowledging the fact that they're insane yeah and this i think this i think is our first our first indication that laz patillo is a really weird guy (laughs) yeah yeah you're not wrong like um fucking i i i I don't want to just retread myself, but like, there's always been something a little bit um, Scorsese. I was saying this to you off off mic, something a little bit Scorsese-ish about the first one where it's just, it's grounded and straightforward and fucking brutal, but always grounded and does not ever pull any punches in making itself feel real. This takes a very different direction in that way. Like to the point where I, I think it's beautiful to pair the two, but I, I think at the time I'll, I'll bet you anything. Some people walked out of this movie feeling like it was directed by a different guy. Like if they had IMDb, they'd be pulling it up on their phones going, all right, this couldn't have still been last Patillo. Cause it's just too weird. It's kind of like, it's kind of like to kind of com- compare this to um, another director's work. Uh, obviously these aren't all in the same series, but so, so Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. You watch Reservoir Dogs and you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. I I get it. I I understand. And then you watch like, what was his next movie? Technically was his next movie Pulp Fiction. I don't know the order in the slightest. I can Google that. I am DB Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Uh, Let's say you said Reservoir. Yeah. Reservoir. It goes, some shorts, my best friend's birthday, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Okay. And then an episode of ER, which is weird. So, but okay, so you watch Reservoir Dogs and you're like, mm. okay, I, I I get it. Like, I understand this. This is kind of, this is a, definitely a unique movie, but I get this movie. Then you watch Pulp Fiction and you're like, oh, Twi- Quentin Tarantino's a freak. <laughs> yeah. Like, Quentin Tarantino's yeah. a weird fucking dude. Um, mm. It is not quite that overt between The Phantom and The Ren and Obstacle Corps. Um, you know, it's not like we don't all of a sudden go to 
you know, whatever the fuck Pulp Fiction is, other than overrated. Um, Ooh, that's a that's an interesting stance you got there. I don't like Quentin Tarantino that much. Um, no, that's I I I think I like some total a third of his movies. That's, that's fair. Um, I've never been able to finish Pulp Fiction. Um, that, honestly, I yeah, I can really see that. But so it's 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 not to the same degree of that, but. Mm-hmm. you know i think i know what you mean though i i, I know what you're getting at it's but like all of a sudden, but all of a sudden it, you know yeah. we go from this like awesome amazing emotional action movie with this this really like deep gritty core and then we get you see like flashes of the of of, of his weirdness i think because of how unique and kinetic the fight scenes are or some of the very strange cinematography choices but then you get to obstacle core and we have rooftop ballerinas <laughs> we have and we have constant background rooftop ballerinas and no <laughs> one acknowledges it jay no one acknowledges it they're always there they're like they're always there they're always going through like at first it seems like different things but eventually you see that it's different parts of the same one long dance number like they're just always there they're not relevant like this movie goes between different parts of a giant city and sometimes a little bit to the outskirts of it and they're always on a rooftop and and it's not like nobody acknowledges them georgie talks to one at one point an important plot point uh, on this like weird sort of drunken odyssey that this movie is an important plot point comes from one of the rooftop ballerinas but they're never really explained there it's it's and that that is the moment where you're like oh this director is weird he's kind of crazy <laughs> yeah um, absolutely like imagine imagine his pitch for this i i, I always imagine uh like laz patillo holding like, like double fisting espresso <laughs> Um, and I just imagine yeah. standing in front of a board of like, you know, 70s leisure suit wearing Hollywood execs. It's like, okay, we're gonna yep. we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this movie. It's gonna it's gonna be a twisting wild journey through this this urban cityscape. And, and, and so we're gonna kind of do what we did with the first movie, but also mm-hmm. I need a dance troupe. Rooftop ballerinas. <laughs> oh my god. And it's which is not to say it doesn't work. I do no, think not at all. That's 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 what's fucking marvelous about it. And that's why it's one of my favorites is when I first watched, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, go, ahead go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, when I first watched this, it was one of those movies that really, like it was, you know, how you have movies growing up that kind of like are the first to make you think about a certain thing in what movies can do and yes, be absolutely. Um, fucking for me. W- the first one that made me think about like contrast in tone, if that makes uh-huh. sense is, was this because you've got the i guess not contrast in tone but just like contrast between the wild and the grounded you know like that's what this movie achieves after being perceived by such a grounded movie this one has the rooftop ballerinas has the opening boat heist has this you know has the fact that whenever there's a tv turned on in the background it's playing something bizarre and surreal and attention getting that almost seems like something out of a tv from robocop but is also never really explained and no one ever really talks about it so it's up to you to figure out why laz felt the need to put it in there and yet it all like counterbalances against georgie who god is just continued to be played so like 
what what a fucking good performance through this whole series that oh, he's able to consistently hold just the right amount of weight that he is a serious man in a wild world that you still believe he could be a part of even when that when right. that when that presence is challenged right and this movie uh -huh. Sets the fucking benchmark in terms of creating that contrast. I think. Yeah, and it, it's just just the nuances of this performance because it could so easily come across as wooden. Yeah, it could so easily have been a nothing performance because I I do think I do think that this that this movie could have worked with with a less subtle and nuanced performance, I think it would have worked, but I don't think it would have held nearly as much weight. And just God bless Benjamin St. James, who has done tragically little after this movie scene. <laughs> did, did you see his episode of Criminal Minds? <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, that was a sad... It was... I. <laughs> It, they, they did the thing that I feel like now Law and Order does, or maybe I I don't know whichever one had Ninja on it recently. The the video game man it does the same thing some of those do where they'll like cast someone to play a character that is like relevant to their actor's past. So he's like a fanatic who goes crazy about a cult movie director and tries to kill him. Like. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> I don't know why he took that role. He's better than that. I don't know why he did so little after. Because even like, I, I'm trying, you know, all of the, there, there's lots of actors who have been in iconic movies who, you know, or, or iconic roles who kind of never did much after that. I think my go-to, my go-to sure. go for that is actually DeForest Kelly, who played um, Bones on uh, Star Trek TOS. Um, wow oh you're right i couldn't even yeah okay so, sure. uh he did a lot of westerns before that mm. um and it was just such an iconic role that he he did and he hated he really hated being typecast it was actually mm -hmm. it's kind of a kind of a vaguely tragic story he 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 really never did anything after bones which is unfortunate because uh. I, I, that it, bones is my favorite character on tos Hell yeah. um yeah, no, or, or like you know the uh, the other like pop culture one is like Carrie Fisher not being Carrie in much Fisher. afterwards because of that was of course because of you know addiction issues and everything else. Even Mark Hamill, like Mark I, Hamill, has famous voice roles. He does the best Joker anyone will ever do. Best Joker, yes. But and, and you know he's he's in uh, one of the English dubs for one of the Studio Ghibli movies. He's all over the place voice wise, but you don't see his face in a lot of other stuff after Star Wars and yeah. then Star Wars again. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that was that was going to be the next one I brought up was yeah. most of the Star Wars actors, even um, honestly, the even Harrison Ford, other than like he does he does his things, but he Harrison Ford doesn't like being an actor. He is in a lot of other movies, legal thrillers, when he's in like his forties. <laughs> but yeah, You're he phones them right. all in completely. Wait, you know, I take that's, that back. He's in a lot of legal thrillers. He is. No, that's um, that's true. My dad owns several of them on VHS. My dad, <laughs> who I went on record as saying would have loved these movies if they were about like John Grisham novels. <laughs> no, uh, but that was um so so actually strike Harrison Ford from that. Uh he yeah. doesn't really count. But yeah, like the, the Carrie Fisher and the Mark Hamill and the Benjamin yeah. St. James. That, uh, yeah, he, that's a good one. But that that those the like tiny nuances in his performances that that make they make the the heavy scenes like land so much harder but they also make the scenes that would be boring absolutely hilarious i think obstacle core is so fucking funny jay oh oh my god yeah absolutely and it and it's not funny in like a a, a com 
in like a lighthearted comedic way. It's mm. funny the way like have you ever okay so have you ever had a really bad day and then something yeah. happens something happens and it's just like the cherry on top of that bad day and you just have to mm. sit down and laugh hysterically about it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it feels like someone wrote a plot for that day and you have you have reached the punchline. Yeah. Yes. You that- reached the denouement. It feels like he's aware that this is this is his this is that moment for him in this weird city. That that's another thing. This city takes th- this is the weirdest city in the world. This this the city that Obstacle Core takes place in is like an alternate universe. Like I, I have no idea what's going on in it. What year is it in this city? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and I love that because that is what um it's it's the exact thing uh, David Robert Mitchell was inspired by when he did It Follows because It Follows oh, yeah. has the thing where like if you pay attention to the details in that movie you've got you know house decor that sometimes is extremely modern and sometimes it's from the 70s you've got like rotary phones next to a futuristic flip float phone shaped like a seashell like it, it does those little things that are all things that don't really go together that are all kind of incongruous but just again like the rooftop ballerinas unacknowledged and that i i he's talked about it in interviews but like that to some degree was based on what this movie does when you've got yeah. stuff like you know the the the, the fact that all the train like the when you look at the subway the the rail cars look extremely old but then there's something almost like neo-futury about the tracks because there's yeah. these like uh, I don't know if they would have been LED lights at that time. Probably not, but like pre LED, like light strips on them, yeah. like all these strange things that at, at times in the right lighting look like Akira. And then at the times in different lighting look like they're from a period piece from the fifties. Yeah. It, it's, it's so interesting. It's, it's really, and, and I think uh, very much feeds into this, the, like the, the, um, I, I, cyberpunk was mostly 80s that that yeah. is where that is where that the bulk of that media comes from but I, I i think that there's this sort of a feeling from this that can be kind of felt in a lot of cyberpunk media where it's like this idea that it, we are in the ruins of something new mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah that's good and and I, I i really i really enjoy that and and this this is this is probably this is not the most like high concept and out there of the Marmoset Chronicles. I know. We'll get to that. Oh boy. We'll get to that. Um, But I do think, I do think on a, on a plot and tone level, it might be the weirdest. Um, Yeah. I I think in a way it might, should we talk about the plot more directly? You know, I think, I think we've kind of been talking about the plot, but the plot is so, odd and meandering and uh, it's basically it's just like it's basically georgie's really weird night (laughs) yeah right because it it starts with it starts with the boat guys getting off the dock with their with their fucking money georgie winds up uh georgie sees them running by decides to sort of just follow them so that that's that's what's interesting is you know talk, talking about Georgie and talking about that performance. Th- there comes the point where these guys almost get caught, and Georgie winds up saving them. That's sort of how he gets roped yes. in with them for the course of this fucking weird ass adventure. He never really talks about why, and it's kind of always just left up mm-hmm. to like body language more than anything and facial language. Yeah, to which is something he is fantastic at it to, to to communicate why he's doing it if he knows. And yeah. I I don't think it's for fun. I don't think he is the kind of character who would do that for fun per se. 
But I, I think it's like, fuck, I, I hate to be like, have you seen, have you, have you watched Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul? Would you believe I have not? I'm okay, the yes, one person in the world who has not watched Breaking Bad. No, I, I, I believe it. I, I think it's a good show. Um, the only reason I, I think of this is I just started watching Better Call Saul, which is the spinoff show starring uh, Bob Odenkirk. Yes, um, yes, yes. Um, Jonathan Banks plays a character in that show named Mike Ermintrout, who is this like... This this former Philadelphia cop, uh, now, you know, he's, he's like in his 60s. He works menial jobs, but also works jobs as like a bodyguard and stuff under the table. Like He's got a lot of stuff involving that, but his whole characterization is very much like you can tell when he's doing something for ironic enjoyment and when he's amused by something, but he has never smiled on camera during his entire time playing that character. That and is it's, very fair. Yeah, and it's all in like, <laughs> understanding different kinds of scowl you know and mm -hmm. just like different sort of like looks that he gives people like it's yeah. all in that kind of very physical acting and i think that's something we get a lot of with georgie you know he's a much he is not an old man put upon by the world not yet but like he has a similar energy in in this movie especially yes. I, think. I i think he does that in this one maybe a little more than in any of the other ones in how he's portrayed following these guys getting involved in their next scheme and then you know winding up <laughs> winding up trying to climb a fire fire escape up a 50-story building yep yep and uh, with ballerinas on top of it of course how can yes, i yes of course and but i think the um the important thing that we get out of this movie for the arc of the Marmoset Chronicles as a whole is, again, Georgie's ability to make that instant connection with people. Yeah. And to just to just build that connection and make an impression on people. Because... Sure, yeah, because... He, he, again, he leaves this group of people very, very changed. Mm. And, you know, he learns a bunch of stuff in this movie that... And, that, and those skills come up in later movies. Sure, um, yeah. Like the callback um in with the uh with the blowtorch that's gonna happen in movie four. Oh my god. Oh. Yeah, the blowtorch, um, the whole sequence after he sort of gets roped in with uh with the guy. Oh, we should we should say for anyone who hasn't realized this, the 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 guys, the guys, the criminals he ropes in with, they're never named. In in the in the credits, they are criminal one and criminal two, and they are the other main characters of this movie, and I just think that's fun. But yeah. um but the other part, after he gets roped in with them, when one of them just sits him down and, like, spends 20 minutes teaching him ways to hide needles on himself for self-defense purposes. Yes. <laughs> just like Wolverine claws, but hypodermic syringes. It's oh, so strange. I hate, that. I, 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 I hate medical needles, so that I always yeah, have oh, to close yeah. my eyes during that. Yep. But, um, no, it's... Or just, um... Uh, that stupid fucking... Always have a rope ladder. <laughs> <laughs> The rest of the has a rope ladder all the time. What oh, specific God. advice? <laughs> Always have a rope ladder. Always have a rope ladder. Oh, oh that's God. so good too. Um, like yeah, have, and, and like have, okay, I yeah. need to know something. I haven't always have a rope ladder T-shirt. Hell yeah! No, yeah, <laughs> I've seen. I uh, I knew someone. In I knew someone not in, before we went to the same college when I was at uh, the community college. I knew someone who had a tattoo of that on his back. 
Did you? That is kind he, of incredible. He wore very uh, low in the back tank tops and we worked out at the gym on campus and I just met him there and I saw that and went, all right, I have to talk to you. I am the most self-conscious and awkward at the gym, but I have to break through it for this one conversation involving your incredible tattoo. Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you've got that. You've got the set piece stuff. So like- and we, we kind of went through this and then I, I forgot to bring it up before we moved on. So I apologize. But like, like I said, my, one of my theses in this show is to like think about what the perspective of the actors and people on set and even the people who like gave money for this were watching Laz Patillo make each of these movies and like what they're what they saw in him and in what they were making. Right. I think oh. that's really interesting to think about, especially in this one, because like we're saying, it is maybe the weirdest. I agree with you. I, I think it's probably the weirdest, um, in a lot of senses at least. But but like, you know, there's definitely a sense of confidence between our Georgie and our director. Like they uh-huh. you can tell like he has absolute confidence in what he's being directed in. And I, I think he you know, Laz earns that from that actor in the first one. I think he gets that pretty easily. But you you have it like I, I just watch this and I wonder like the ballerinas are completely into it. Like everyone making the moving parts of this bizarre landscape Laz is creating all are just doing it with complete conviction. And I just have to wonder like, what did, did he describe it all to them beforehand? Did he like, you know, burst out in his underwear and clutching, like you said, two, two espressos with a fucking whiteboard. He's pulling along by his foot, just being like, all right, listen, (laughs) <laughs> let me tell you about this fucking crazy city with banners that with, with a bunch of banners that are saying to elect people from for mayor but none of them have names on them with a bunch <laughs> of weird shit on the tvs with ballerinas it, it almost reminds me of some of the weirder sequences in brazil if you've ever seen brazil like it's there's so many things going on in this city and Everyone brings them to life. They all bring them to life. And, and money, obviously, is part of it, too. Like, uh-huh. the first one was a pretty big success. Um, I was just listening to, um, I think I've recommended Blank Check to you, the podcast. Yes. They they did a series on Tim Burton. I'm just, I'm listening to right now. And okay. Tim Burton has such a fucking wild career because he makes, like, five really successful movies in a row early on. Like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Edward Scissorhands, the first two Batmans. Uh, and Beetlejuice like those are his first five movies all do well and they're all increasingly wild and increasingly out of his own head and both financially and also just from the people he surrounds himself with to make it work there's enough belief in it from the people close to him that it, it that they come out they happen that, that yeah. I don't know and and I, I think something similar is going on here and I, I really think a lot about like about how that happens I don't know I, I don't yeah. have more of a thesis there than that I, I think I I I don't think he jumped out in his underwear holding two uh double fisting espressos even though that's how I imagine right. talking to the Hollywood execs I think on set not yet I think yes not yet I think mm-hmm. he sat down crisscross applesauce and dead serious, like with everybody in a circle and dead serious explained this concept to them. And I think he was so sure of himself that everybody else was like, this sounds t- totally reasonable. Rooftop ballerinas. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's that, that, that that's brilliant. And then yeah. he basically like, and then this came out into theaters and you, this is presented so confidently that you're just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. 
Yeah. yeah. Yep. Which is, you know, that that's one of the greatest pillars of filmmaking is being able to sell a completely strange world. Oh, it's so it's so good. And I think this is if if we take the first movie as we're, we're taking Georgie and we're immediately pushing him to the edge of his sanity mm-hmm. um, it, in, you know, horror and blood and murder and all the stuff that sells 70s action movies um and then you push him into a movie that i dare i say dare i call this whimsical (laughs) i mean he he, like you're not wrong dare i call this a whimsical movie and with these two movies we get to see both those sides of georgie and that's so important in the movies that are coming up absolutely i mean listen the (laughs) It it is very whimsical in this like um it, it's not magical realist but it almost feels like magical realist like mm-hmm. when he when he climbs that sixty story building winds up at the top of it trying to figure out where the fuck to go uh so, so there's a scene where he's gotten to the top of it the idea was that he was supposed to get in at like a floor near the top but he was being chased from below by guys with guns so he had to get up to the top he meets those ballerinas has that conversation you mentioned earlier where. During that conversation, even though there are guys with guns chasing him up the ladder, time stops. Like, no one's worried about it. The ballerinas aren't. The one is talking to him while they are still dancing. He is just totally chill about it. He's not, like, panicked looking back to the ladder be like, oh, are they here? Yeah, I gotta go. No, he's chill about it. Like, and then and then time resumes. He, you know, he... he <laughs> the rope ladder comes up and then and, and, and time resumes. But like, there is that element of magical realism that is just kind of replicated later, but definitely at its strongest here. And yeah. I, I think that adds to that whimsy, you know? And it's, and we, we see here that we get this more rounded character of Georgie because this, mm-hmm. the, the reason that these movies work is because of how well we get to know this guy and we get to see, we get to see this, very strange the very strange way he enters the relationship of these two criminals who are obviously very close and very good friends and he kind of mm-hmm. enters this relationship in a weird sort of way and i we we talked about how he um he sort th- this sort of disregard of conformity in the first movie and mm-hmm. this is sort of this is another kind of side to that where you know sometimes you enter a situation and you're able to conform to it right away but only because you're going to leave later yeah you know, yeah the, the, that, that's, that's, that's very true that's kind of the basis of code switching where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're, you know exactly what to say in this situation. Cause you're very aware of the social, um, the social rules. Yeah. Of- you know what to say because you're supposed to. Yes. Yes. And- yeah. And, and that is, that is a like really interesting personal social thing, right? Like I, I think that's just generally fascinating as a concept, honestly, like that's, that's, that kind of shit is the reason I put myself into taking a couple psychology classes when I was in college because I wanted to like understand there is a little bit he's not okay he's not a manipulator right like he's not going into this to turn these guys against each other he does a little bit turn them against each other especially in the end but that's that's more through a hit like he is, and this is super his role in these movies a lot, he is the factor who walked in and sort of Yoko Ono'd them, which anyone could have been. Like, yeah. anyone, I, I use I use Yoko Ono only in the term of, you know, being, like, the quintessential person who made a group of people have a falling out. Yeah. Like, 
Anyone could have been that. It could have been a romantic interest. It could have been some other third guy they brought on for the next job. He's there by happen. He happens to be that guy. Uh And so then there comes that other part of that code switching thing you're talking about, which is when comes the point where he can switch back to being someone who doesn't care, doesn't need to care, is able to do the leaving part. Yeah. And and that is what's really interesting is that, you know, you have the final, you know, you you we we have the climax of the movie where after after, you know, everything that's happened, they wind up <laughs> they wind they wind up crashing through the the roof of the giant uh shipyard building and onto the deck of the docked boat from the intro, which is incredible and one of the best fucking reveals, not even reveals, just best like circular path bits of direction I've fucking ever seen in my life. I love it. And, and, and yeah, like you watch as these people's relationships degrade a little bit, as these two guys start to fight over what the hell to do. Now, one of them has got a broken leg. One of them's missing an eye (laughs) and, and Georgie's just standing there and waiting. And we're waiting to figure out, if he's at his point where he can just turn around and walk away yet. And he doesn't just then, but like, it's, it's that interesting point of like, have I gone as far as I need to go with this? Can I unplug and, you know, cease being a part of this thing I've attached myself to. Yeah. I have, I have two more points to Mm -hmm. get to with this movie. Uh, One, the second one I think is going to make you mad. Okay. But the first one, the first one is just another little character moment that I like. I like that um I like that these movies have continuity. I like that you can feel the events of the previous movie in the next one. Um mm-hmm. and I lo- which I think is seen here where essentially there's a firefight breaks out and Georgie very very deliberately takes the fight away from the pedestrians. Yeah. And you can yeah. feel all that all that like blood and violence from the small town and Paul Harris in that move where he, he, he takes them, he takes them away from the civilians. And I think, I think that's important character moment growth. I love that little piece of continuity. It's really good direction. Yeah. Yes. Here's the one that's going to make that I think is going to make you mad unless you like this theory, but I, I, I know you and I don't think you're gonna. I'm excited. So we've mentioned how kind of like weird and wacky this, this movie is. Mm hmm. So you, what do you think about the theory that people throw around that this this is like like a coma dream? This is the coma dream movie. Oh, uh, horse dick dog shit is what I think of that. I think it's dumb horse dick dog shit, uh, straight out of a dog's ass, uh, <laughs> peed on by a horse's dick, and now here we are just looking at this pile of horse dick dog shit that we all get to enjoy. No, I think that's fucking nonsense. I I knew you wouldn't like it. No, I, I I hate that shit so much. I not always, you know, not there. There's stuff that does it well. I uh, I hate theories with that shit a lot because so often they they I I right now the BoJack Horseman discourse is full of that shit. I'll have you know. Um, after that show has ended, but I I, I it drives me wild because I feel like. When those theories get brought up, not always, but a lot of the time, I'm trying to cool down and be fair here after I said horse dick dog shit five times. A lot of five. You're right. Uh, Horse dick dog shit, horse dick dog shit, horse dick dog shit. Oh no, I summoned a horse dick and some dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, no. Um, (laughs) To, you know, to be fair, 
you can do that well, but I feel like a lot of the time when that stuff comes from the theory side of, you know, from, from the community side, uh -huh. rather, of, of a piece of media, uh -huh. it comes at, like, just the discounting of a lot of the artistic integrity of what was made. Like, I, I don't see anything in that movie that tells me that what is what what those what those people interpret as signs that this might be a coma dream. I just interpret as Laz Patillo building a really weird setting. Like yeah. I I don't think there is anything that they say is one that cannot be turned around and argued for being the other. Yes, and that's why I don't buy that. I I think there's cases where you can totally make that argument. You know, like we can talk about whether the the top falls down in, in the end of Inception all day. You know, like. Yeah, I I think I think there's a lot of good examples of that shit actually. Minority Reports, another one. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't buy it here, and I, I I bristle at those arguments, and you knew I would, you motherfucker. I, I, I knew you would. It, you know, it, it, yeah. to me, it reminds me of um. There, there's a. Uh, I, I didn't mean to offend you if you like that theory. By oh, the way, no, I I, I, like I, I, I like you knew you knew I wouldn't. I, I I don't like that theory even a little bit, and I'll tell you why. It, it, it reminds me a lot of um. There's a uh, British uh, comedian slash performer named Noel Fielding. Are you familiar? That name sounds familiar. He was in the. He did the Mighty Boosh. He did a lot of stuff. But okay. he's a really weird guy, and he dresses really weird. And um, I guess uh. In an, in an interview, someone was like, oh, a lot of people like say that you're on drugs all the time. Like, that you act like you're on drugs. Like, how do you feel about that? And he was like, well, I hate it because I'm not on drugs. I'm just really creative. Why do I, why do I need to be on drugs to be a creative out there person? And that's yeah. how I feel about a lot of the, a lot of the coma theories and especially this one. Like, oh, why yeah. can't it just be creative? Why can't it just be weird? It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be, th this series is, is edgy and deep enough. We don't need to make edgy, dark theories. Um... <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, no, you're, I, I could not have said it better myself. I, I think, I think that quote, that's a really good quote. I hadn't heard that. I don't know. I think you can open that up to apply to so much of <laughs> shitty media critique, you know, when yeah. someone's just like, oh yeah, this, uh, I'll pull this example from my, my time writing about video games. This game's like Mario took crack and then fucked Pikachu. Like fucking Christ. Like, like I, I hate that kind of talking about media. Like, uh -huh. Oh, this is this is like if Tim Burton did even more cocaine than he probably does. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there are layers is. to why I hate that kind of shit. Yeah. Also, Noel Fielding loves Las Patillo. Huge fan of these movies. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He. But uh, th that was those are the last two points I kind of wanted to touch on. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? As I, I feel like I, I I apologize if I took things over a little too much here. I feel like I did, but no, like oh, not at all. Not, not a lot, right? There, there's um, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's the stuff we can say every episode. The shots are beautiful. The the music is great. Um, I really like every one of these movies, whether it is in a bar or somewhere else, always just has really nice close-up shots of glass bottles at some point. I oh, think that is yeah. just, that is just a visual Laz loves and glass in general. Like, um, you know, there, there's, there's some shit in a church in one of the last ones. Mm. Like th there's always just really good imagery and cinematography around glass, whether it's windows or bottles or glasses or the kind of glasses you see out of at one point mm. in one of the movies. Like there's always that kind of like, I, I like the idea of just using visual motifs 
throughout a long series of movies, even if they aren't necessarily meant to do anything other than remind you that these are all being made by the same person and That's give you like a little bit of an extra set of set of sense of comfort, like or, or familiarity. Really they're just they're just beautiful shots. Yeah, absolutely. And in this one, it's it's the one of uh, when they when they they stay in the the seedy hotel on the outskirts of town where the the ballerinas are dancing like in a single line on the top of the roof. Um, sorry, I've been thinking about the ballerinas this entire episode. But it's when they're there and and you see inside the hotel room the three of them are staying in and they've just like got a weird number of bottles of gin considering they were only staying there one night all at different levels of fullness some of them are blue some are clear some are green and they're just like arranged in this really interesting way with the pale sunlight sort of like refracting and reflecting through them i just ah i fucking love that (laughs) i i i I don't know yeah those are the kinds of shots that really stick with me and i just like think about when i think about what beautiful cinematography should look like period not should can look like period yeah and it's just uh yeah and um just the the weird work and this is i think i do think this is the last marmoset chronicles movie that can pretty much stand on its own i don't think Mm -hmm. you need to have seen the first one to see this one i think from here on out you need to have seen these two and the subsequent movies to understand the the next ones like god help you if you watch uh if you watch five without any of the others can you imagine going yeah well well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about why that is with five in particular too but yeah like can you imagine going into that and not having the the level of galaxy brain required in terms of exact knowledge of some of the stuff that happens in yeah, all of I, the other ones. But I think this can be watched alone. I think this Absolutely. is a one-of-a-kind movie that a lot of people have tried to copy and failed. I also think that after this, I feel I think after this movie, uh I mean, there's you know there's a lot of plot stuff to talk about number three that i feel like we'll talk about more but after th- from, yeah. from here on out we are going to be talking about laz a lot more i think gonna, so yeah we're gonna be talking about the meta aspects of this mo- of these movies a lot more because you have to but for, 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 for these first two movies and for me i think this one in particular it they, they really stand on their own as beautiful pieces of media and they're, they're just great they're great um you yeah. should also buy go out and buy yourself a always have a rope ladder t-shirt because it will make you happy the way this movie can make you happy get it tattooed on your back <laughs> maybe don't do that eh, maybe do i think you should and cut <laughs> <laughs> oh god hey uh fucking if that's all we got kirsten you got a twitter yet do i have a twitter um oh I- really shit yeah, well, I've, I had a Twitter. I, I I have now given my my Twitter a, a non stupid handle, and I'm gonna make an active um, effort to use it more. Find me on Twitter at Kirsten M Writes. Find me on Instagram at Kirsten Mean Writes. Um, find me in a lot of rejection letters because no literary magazine wants to publish me. Oh, <laughs> you gotta you gotta find the right one, or better yet, start your own. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but uh. And uh, what about you, Jay? Where where can they find you on the on the wide widest of these worldwide webs? Ah, changing my handle to one that's not stupid. I should try that. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Extreme Salsing. <laughs> find me on Instagram also at Extreme Salsing. You can find me also on YouTube under Hi I Am Jay. Uh, haven't it's been a little bit since the next stuff, but the next stuff is I have multiple things I'm working on uh, to go up there to sort of get back in gear. Uh, so you know. Keep an eye out there soon. 
Also, we are on the Orange Grows Podcast Network, which is full of other great podcasts about media critique and some of them about LGBT issues or about ARGs or about actual plays through Kingdom Hearts or uh, Power Rangers worlds, you know, stuff that's fun and good like this. So if you want more stuff that's fun and good, that's where you can go to get that. And uh, on that note, uh, have a great rest of the day everybody and we will be back next week to talk about the infamous movie three. <laughs> oh god i i i am so excited to talk about diagnosis aquamarine it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a time it's uh we'll get to it but kirsten it's it's my favorite <laughs> yeah it is so i think uh, yeah we'll get to it we will see you then folks and uh That's have a it. great time of day Bye. Enjoy Bye. time. It's here for you. We're the hosts of Got It Memorized, what used to be a Kingdom Hearts recap podcast. We did the impossible and finished recapping all of Kingdom Hearts. The whole thing! Now, fueled by our own hubris, we've endeavored to recap other things. We've covered The World Ends With You, and now we've moved on to Final Fantasy X. After that, we'll do more tasks that humanity previously thought impossible, like creating Cold Fusion, accessing the Akashic Records, and folding a piece of notebook paper in half more than seven times. Find Got It Memorized on the Orange Groves Podcast Network, on your favorite podcast app, or do what we did and approach a pulsing dark monolith in the middle of your city promising otherworldly powers in exchange for audio catalogs of JRPG franchises by whispering the secret words of power, Got It Memorized. Blitzball!